Hey friends, I'm Sabrina, the rookie around here. John and Dick are the old school American fans of F1. Thanks for taking time to listen in on a conversation we had about Nick DeVries. As we shared during our rookies episode, it's tough to get into F1 and it's even tougher to stay in there. We recorded this episode last night before Red Bull and AlphaTauri's announcement about Nick's seat. Sadly, Dick called it. Despite Nick's impressive and diverse background coming up to the F1 grid, he's had a cloud over him all season. The music stopped and he is now without a seat. We decided to release this episode early so you, our listeners, have food for thought as you analyze the news. Hope you enjoy our conversation. Okay, gentlemen, we have been talking about the rookies on the F1 grid, and we did our initial conversation kind of laying out how to evaluate them, what the road was like to F1 for these guys. Now we are going to specifically look at one of the rookies on the 2023 grid, Nick DeVries. So Dick, I'm going to hand off some questions to you that I hope will help our listeners to understand that Nick has a pretty impressive background that's quite diverse as he was coming up the ladder and that he's done some different academies and he's also had a very interesting rookie season. I think you'll be able to help us to understand this rookie season for him and also hopefully help us to forecast what his future could look like. So before we go into those major headlines, let's talk about some of his general information. Where is Nick from and does that home country have a history and or a program for driver development focused on the F1 grid. Nick is from the Netherlands. And, you know, it's not a huge country, but obviously it has been known to turn out some pretty decent racing drivers <laughs> besides Nick DeVries. It certainly is a country that has a lot of enthusiasm for the sport. And historically, uh, it's had a lot of enthusiasm uh, for the sport as well. So just to make sure some of our listeners are educated on this, who are some of the other, I mean, we know one that's really famous. Yeah. Well, there's this kid named Max Verstappen um, (laughs) and uh, and his dad, Yoss. So right off the top, there's, there's three F1 drivers um, coming from a very, very small little country over the last, call it 30 years, which, you know, when you compare that against the United States, you could come to the conclusion that the Netherlands is punching above its weight. John, do you agree with that? Is there any, they're punching above their weight or we as Americans need to get more people up there? Oh, we need Americans regularly going to Formula One. The Netherlands is about 15 or 16 million people. The state of Texas has 30 million people. If they can produce three, four Formula One drivers, and and there were some back in the day as well, like Jan Lammers and others, if they can produce multiple Formula One drivers, surely America can produce Formula One drivers. We just have to get the right system in place to do that. Well, I don't want to take away from Dick's answering of some of my other more general questions, because I know we, you, all three of us could talk about that point about Americans. Maybe we'll capture that in the other rookie um, conversation when we talk about Logan. Dick, how old is Nick? And did he do anything with other academy with academies or any other teams before he showed up on the grid? And 
what did he race, you know, before he was on this grid? Did And do you know anything about his driving style and whether or not he was a carter? Those are kind of some of the questions I'm, I'm intrigued about Nick. Sure. So, um, you know, Nick is, is old for a rookie. He just turned 28 years old. And, you know, when you compare him to Oscar Piastri, for example, Oscar's 22. So, there, there is definitely a gap there uh, in age. You know, every racing driver has, you know, kind of a shelf life, so to speak. And so his shelf life is shorter than somebody like an Oscar simply because of their age. But he started racing karts when he was four years old. His parents bought him a kart and he started driving it, liked it. And so one thing led to another. And as a carter, he was incredibly accomplished. He won the Karting World Championship, not once, but twice. And he did it back to back in 2010 and 2011. He won the European Karting Championship. He won the German Junior Karting Championship twice and the WSK Karting Championship twice. And all of those programs are big deals, especially, obviously, the World Championship is a big deal. To be the European Karting Champion, that's almost as good as being the World Champion. And certainly the WSK Karting Championship, that's a big deal as well. So he's got a super impressive karting resume that's on display. And when you can win in karting at that high of a level, it says that you're something pretty special. He then moved into, after doing all of that, he then moved in to the Euro Cup Formula Renault program, just as Piastri did. But he spent three seasons there. And in his last season... He won the Formula Euro Cup Series, but he also won the Alpine Formula Renault Championship. And in that championship, he finished on the podium in 12 out of the 14 races, and he actually won 10 of the 14 races. So super impressive win record. And then he did a season in Formula Renault 3.5, which in those days was a big horsepower car. I mean, it was a big step up. So he did a season of that and then moved into GP3 and his teammates were Charles Leclerc and Alex Albon. And so then from there, he did well and he moved on to Formula 2. And he ended up in his rookie year in Formula 2 being the second highest placed rookie that year. He then stayed for another two seasons in Formula 2. So he was in Formula 2 2017, 2018, and 2019, and won the championship in 2019. So what was interesting was, is during this time, he was part of the McLaren Junior Driver Program. And towards the end of his tenure with the McLaren Program, he also became a part of the Audi Program. But all of that ended because after winning the F2 Championship, he was hired by Mercedes to come and drive in Formula E for them. And he won the championship uh, for Formula E in the 2020-2021 season. While he was doing that, he also was picked up as a test and reserve driver for Mercedes. And so he actually got to sample Formula One cars multiple times not only for Mercedes, but for Mercedes engine customers like Aston Martin, uh, McLaren, and Williams. And he was actually also loaned out to Alpine for a test. So, you know, the guy was pretty well-traveled, to say the least. And he got his big break in 2022. He actually, uh, at the Italian Grand Prix, 
uh, Nick drove in free practice one for Aston Martin for none other than Seb Vettel. And then Alex Albon got food poisoning. And so he was drafted into the Williams for free practice three, then qualifying. And in the race, he went on to finish eighth place in his first race, scoring a couple of points for Williams. With that drive, suddenly he became a sought-after commodity, somewhere actually right behind Piastri. And his phone rang a lot from different teams interested in him driving for them. He finally settled on driving for AlphaTauri for 2023. So I guess my question would be to follow up is so many different groups and teams and academies that you just mentioned. Yep. If, if when, Especially after having had the conversation about Oscar that is separate that our listeners can listen to. It seems very different, a very diverse background. Is that normal or is that typical of a driver as he's making his way onto the grid? You know, John may have his own opinions, but it's certainly not the classical approach simply because in some respects, he stayed in certain formulas for like three years. He did that a couple of times, both in Formula Renault EuroCup, and then again in F2. So that's not a classical approach. But on the other hand, it's probably more typical. You know, I mean, he even tested an IndyCar in that, in that period of time. And by the way, he was fastest of all the teams that were testing that day. He'd never driven an IndyCar. He'd never seen Sebring before. Jumps in the car and immediately he's the quickest guy there. I think it's pretty obvious that some guys develop a, maybe a little bit slower, even though they've got the talent, but they just develop maybe just a little bit slower or maybe they're just not on the right team. So I do have a comment, but I want to make sure, John, you get to chime in if you had anything you wanted to add. Yeah, I, I do have very strong feelings about this, um, the number of years that a driver has to spend in the different formula. I don't disagree with Dick to the extent that a driver has to do what a driver has to do if he's going to continue trying to make a living as a racing driver. And if you have no other option than to stay, and if you haven't won the championship, there's still something to accomplish. Uh, it's just that by the time you spend three years in the category, you do have to, I have to wonder at least, what is it that it's going to take for you to win that category and earn the right to move up to the next category? If you can't win it in your first year, that's no crime. I think it's extraordinary if you can. But if you are going to adapt and going to move forward, uh, you should be able to, to make that come good in your second year in the category. The other point I would note about this, and I, I admire Nick because he has a varied career in a lot of different things. Formula E, he's tested any cars that Dick said. He's done well in everything that he's gotten in. However, I do think he is the one rookie right now in Formula One where there's a cloud hanging over him and that cloud just doesn't seem to go away. Mm -hmm. So, so I think that if he, you know, uh, if he makes it into the second year, then Dick is going to be right. He deserves to be there. If he doesn't, I'm going to be right. And I guess uh, Dick will be buying me a beer. Um, <laughs> but, but we won't know, but, but I just would notice that he's the one who has the biggest cloud hanging over him He's also the one that spent the most time, most number of multiple years in a in a pre in a lower formula. 
Yeah. And I guess I'm wondering too, how much of that cloud is really about Nick as much as it is, is the Red Bull world and what's going on with Sergio and what's going on with Daniel and just also the way that Red Bull operates. And if Nick had landed in a different team, would he be getting a little bit more of a runway to, to adjust, acclimate into, into this? It's just fascinating to me. Do you guys have a thought on that? Either one of you? There's an interesting thing there is that it shows you just how important the guidance that these guys get is because it is quite possible that Nick did not get the kind of opportunities he deserved earlier through either mistakes that he made or through opportunities missed because of his uh, management or his those people who he looks to for opinions or you know unfortunately it may come down to budgetary constraints he may not have had the budget to go to the team or the series that he would want to have gone to and those are things that we just don't know uh, until much much later in in time if they're writing a history or something right well as i listen to the two of you especially comparing and contrasting nick and oscar to one another it made me think of the analogy that you shared dick I think it was about the actors, right? Analogizing that it sounds like Oscar stayed in the, like if we were to say he was a movie star, he stayed in the movie industry of acting and really just made his way incrementally up that ladder. While Nick said, you know, the opportunity is not all sitting here with me in the movies. Let me go try TV. Let me go try theater. Let me do you know, all these different options to keep developing my craft, taking the options where it is. And again, like John said, taking the opportunity to continue to be in that world, but maybe the goal was to eventually get into that, that movie world. And we know that for those of us who like entertainment and movies, that doesn't necessarily mean that the actor is not good. It's just, it is what it is. Let me ask this next question. What do you think most people miss when they evaluate Nick? And do you think he has a bright future or is that kind of uncertain? And last part of that question would be, do you think he can win a championship? You know, I think when they evaluate him, what people don't perhaps understand is they see a guy that's 28 years old as a rookie, which is, again, that's old for a rookie in Formula One. As crazy as that sounds, 28 is old. You know, I think, though, that while his road to Formula One has taken a long time, the fact of the matter is, is that every series he's driven in, until he got to Formula One, anyway, every season he, every series he's driven in, he's won, and he's demonstrated that he that he can do it. Now he may be a little bit slower learner, or as John said, there may have been budget constraints. I mean, we just don't know. But I think what people need to understand is while this guy is running in the second half of the field, this guy is no slouch. I mean, he's an incredibly talented racing driver. It's just that he's in a field of incredibly talented racing drivers, and he happens to be driving one of the worst cars in, in the on the grid. It becomes all that much more difficult to evaluate him, especially when you have somebody like Oscar Piastri, who's driving for uh, a McLaren team that is obviously starting to get it together. Again, if I use my benchmark, how does he do against his teammate? Then the way it's been so far is his average starting position versus his teammate, Yuki Sonoda, 
Nick is at 16.6 for his starting position. Yuki's at 14.2. 2.4 starting positions further forward than Yuki. I, I mean, far, farther behind than Yuki. And his average finishing position is 15.9 versus 12.9. For Yuki. So both of them move forward in the races if you compare where they started to where they finished. Uh, but again, Yuki is a bigger mover. He has scored two 10th place finishes, so he's got two points in the world championship. Nick does not have any. But all of that said, that everybody understands that the Afatari has been a big disappointment this year. And in fact, Franz Toast, the team principal for Afatari, said just today, I don't trust our engineers. So what does that mean? <laughs> you know. And so I think that there's a whole lot of variables and it becomes very difficult to evaluate. But then that said, what's the runway for him? Well, I, I, I hate to say it, but it could very well be that the runway is pretty short for him because Red Bull has Daniel Ricardo waiting in the wings and Ricardo's not talking. Uh, won't be drawn into the subject of will he be driving for AlphaTauri next year. But one thing is very, very clear. AlphaTauri is in need of a driver that can develop a car that's got a lot more experience than either Yuki Sonoda or Nick DeVries. That's a game of musical chairs. There's two seats, there's three players. And when the music stops, my fear is, is that Nick could be the one without a seat. You know, I think that there's there's a couple of bright spots on on the horizon that Nick might benefit from, and I, I completely agree with with Dick's assessment. I, I think he he could very well miss a seat when the music stops. But there is um, there's a couple of things. One is his mental attitude. Red Bull is a very very stressful, difficult, hard uh, place to be because of the way that they run their program. And he is handling it as good or better than any Red Bull driver I think ever has. Marco just bangs on him constantly and he just says let's go play a game of golf and relax about it, you know. Uh I think he's successful enough and secure enough in his own person and his own capacity that that's not going to get to him. The other thing that's a positive out there that might help him is there is talk about AlphaTauri getting a new sponsor, which should mean a lot of money going into that team. And if mm -hmm. that does happen, and if he is retained, then that might be the thing that he needs in order to uh, move forward and stay in there and succeed. Also, uh, as a part of that, they're planning on using more of the the uh, off-the-shelf components that are legal from Red Bull uh, next year. So that's another thing. But I do agree that with Dick that AlphaTauri really needs a more seasoned driver who can guide them in development as they make the assessment of the CFD comparisons and the wind tunnel comparisons with the, the on-track uh, development. And yep. neither of them are, are quite there. And, you know, a little bit off topic, but on topic, if you're looking at AlphaTauri, we kind of know what Yuki can do. I don't see him maturing. After three years, he ought to be able to help engineer the car better. And he's he's made comments in public where it's just sort of like, yeah, the car's no good. But I completely he, agree with you, Dave. Right? And right. I mean, it, it would almost make more sense to part ways with Yuki, keep Nick, and then bring in a Daniel Ricardo. Very interesting. So that's so interesting you said that, um, because that's what I was thinking. Because one, the cutthroatness of Red Bull and everything that's happening in the Red Bull team with Daniel sitting there in Sergio's challenge 
seems like those guys are the ones who could come in and help with the development efforts of this AlphaTauri. I've been impressed with Yuki this year in the sense of comparing him of where he has been. But when you say you think he's kind of maybe reached that limit, this last few races, that's what I was thinking and going, I don't know, maybe this is as as good as, as you can, can go. But then when I listen to what you've shared about Nick and how he has this resilience or um, his, this strength of character that can maybe enable him to battle it out a little bit longer. I want to see that. I want, if he's got, if he's worked this hard to get here, let's give him a little bit more time not let him be the unfortunate one not to get the chair when the music stops because everybody else has been out there. So this is interesting. I hope it's food for thought for any of the people who are listening that definitely he's not a Nicholas Latifi. Let's, Let's make that very clear. And he's not a Nikita Mazapan. People who've come in in the last few years just kind of writing off someone like Nick DeVries. He's pulled off some really interesting moments and he's had some strength of character that should, if given that runway... Hopefully it's more than what we're all fearful of, but a little bit more. He could he could surprise all of us. Okay, well, that was another great discussion on one of the three rookies on the 2023 grid. I look forward to our next conversation on the other rookies. Okay, friends, what did you think of this conversation? The guys and I want to know what you thought of this conversation. Drop me a line via email, sabrina at twoguysagirlandf1.com. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes. We're going to discuss each of the current rookies on the grid. Consider them case studies of the principles we just shared. Are you following us on social media? We're in all the usual places. Follow us. Thanks to those who are sending messages and comments. Feedback from you, our listeners, Our two guys, a girl and F1 community has been humbling and really encouraging to John, Dick and me. We know that this is a crowded market. So your words have been and continue to help us build a community and content that we believe in. Thank you. Based on your feedback, we know that if someone hears us, they stick around. So we need your help to get higher in the podcast rankings. Please take a moment to rate and review us in your favorite podcast app. Continue sharing our show with your fellow F1 fans. It's listeners like you that are making this podcast a success. It's your endorsement that helps us build the two guys, a girl and F1 community. Maybe you're new to the podcast. If so, check out our earlier episodes where John, Dick and I share our F1 origin stories. And if you're a rookie to F1, then check out our F1 101 episode. Consider it a primer, the tip of the iceberg. And thank you to our followers who are supporting the show. You are making this show possible. John, Dick, and I don't take it for granted. If you're not a member already, check out the support the show link in the episode notes. And with that, let me say, that ends this conversation. But rest assured, we'll keep talking and you can keep listening in because we're just two guys, a girl, and F1. For John, Dick, and me, Sabrina, thanks for listening.